Around the world, scientists and entrepreneurs are integrating abundant renewable energy to invent a better future that is healthier and more affordable. That's all good news for the planet. This is Entrepreneurial Journeys, a podcast about entrepreneurs providing solutions to social and environmental challenges across the world. My name is Emma Kloppert, and over the next episodes, I'm going to take you on a global tour to meet these impact entrepreneurs from the cities of Central Africa to the coasts of Europe. How have their companies been built? Which problems are they trying to solve? And what are the honest personal stories behind them. In this seventh episode, my guest is Philippe Filela, co-founder of ReNature, a company with the big, audacious goal to shift traditional ways of farming to regenerative agriculture. And whereas they only started some years ago, it's fair to say that they are already leading a massive movement of corporates and farmers towards a new and essential future for farming. In this conversation, we speak about how, being born and raised in Brazil, Felipe saw the shocking pace of deforestation of the Amazon and knew that he would dedicate the rest of his life to better agriculture. We spoke about how they built the company, what gaining an extreme amount of traction and attention did to him personally, and their mission. We cannot have the luxury of simply, you know, being carbon neutral as a society. We need to go beyond that. So that's why it's, uh, it's also more than just sustainability. Sustainability is about, uh, you know, uh, decreasing the negative impact you have caused. And regeneration is about maximizing the positive impact. One of the biggest solutions to the climate crisis lies right under our feet and at the end of our forks. Soon you will hear all about Philippe's entrepreneurial journey. But as always, we first speak to an expert on the topic to lay out the bigger picture of where we ought to be heading. And this week, we have a former minister who now works for the World Resource Institute. My name is Stintje van Veldhoven, and I am vice president at the World Resources Institute. Based in The Hague, I'm also the director for our European activities. Stintje, what is so wrong with our current way of land use and agriculture? I think um, if I'd have to summarize it really briefly, I'd say that our current system is both economically, environmentally and socially not sustainable. Um, So it should be transformed economically, because if you think about, uh, we only calculate um, the the results of of our current agricultural uh, system in terms of its output. But if you look at the $12 trillion in environmental health and development damages per year, that is not taken into account. So we don't have a real good picture, actually, of the economics of our agriculture and land use. And environmental burden, because um, agriculture uses almost half of the world's vegetated land, and and, uh, food production accounts for a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, especially, by the way, actually food loss and waste is, is of course, a total waste. But also agriculture is about 70% of freshwater withdrawals. Uh, and with drought uh, developing across the world, uh, that's just an enormous burden. Roughly 80% of large marine ecosystems are subject to significant eutrophication. Basically, that means uh, nutrients in a lake or a body of water that shouldn't be there, often a runoff from the land. And at the same time, we have more than 500 million farmers and fishers 
worldwide living in poverty. So this enormous system with all these effects um, doesn't even feed all the people in the world nor provides a good standard of living for all the people that are working in this sector. So yes, I would say there's quite a few things wrong um, that have to be transformed. So the numbers are very clear and there's a lot of work to do. Let's look ahead. What is the bigger picture that we're trying to move towards? Well, here too, summarizing it briefly, actually, it's feeding a world of 10 billion people within the boundaries that the warming of our climate and the demise of our biodiversity set us. Right. So we need to feed 10 billion people much more equitably and stay within our planetary boundaries of climate and biodiversity. Uh, and over 30% of the Earth's soil is already degraded because of traditional ways of farming. Do you see a role for regenerative agriculture in feeding our ever-growing population without hurting the climate and biodiversity? With regenerative agriculture, it's a suite of solutions. Um, uh, and it can, for example, be... Uh, an important step in increasing fertility of the soil. Uh, so for, for soil fertility, it may be the solution which you need. If you look at it from a climate mitigation perspective, then reducing carbon intensity, um, uh, there may be risks of overstating its importance. Um, so it's not a silver bullet. It really depends on where do you want to do uh, this kind of agriculture and to what purpose. Um, and like I said, again, it's also a suite of, of, of solutions, right? It's not just, there, there are many different things that people uh, will make fall under regenerative agriculture. Uh, so it very much depends on the measure. It depends on where you apply the measure and what is the goal of you applying that measure that will actually define if it's uh, the most efficient or whether other measures will be more efficient. So let's be nuanced. Let's look at the potential, but let's also be nuanced in uh, talking about regenerative agriculture. Someone who is clearly focused on the potential of regenerative agriculture is Felipe Filela from Renature. After growing up in Brazil, he then ended up in Amsterdam where he met his co-founder Marco de Boer. And soon an unreturnable movement was born. And with success, Felipe is a TEDx speaker listed by Forbes 30 under 30 and advisor to the UN Environment Programme. With a team of 35, Renature is active in over 20 countries. 50,000 farmers are already part of their movement, and they have partnerships with many large corporates and organizations. His incredible story all started with family. I come from a, a citrus farming family in Brazil, so my, my mom's side has been always working in nature-inclusive agriculture, and from my dad in banking, so... I was kind of like, how can we, you know, use uh, finance to support yeah. uh, nature uh, inclusion in agriculture? And uh, uh, since young, I was extremely passionate about nature and agriculture. And I was looking for ways to uh, get more involved in the field. Um, so when I was 17, I decided to go with a friend by, by car to the Amazon rainforest to explore the richness of that vital ecosystem. So I was, I was extremely amazed by the abundance of life in the rainforest and the wisdom of indigenous people living there. But I was also terrified by the massive deforestation driven by mining and agricultural activities and how that impacts the local people. So since then, I started searching for uh, more inclusive ways uh, to mix nature, forest, but also agriculture. 
And that's how I started learning about agroforestry and regenerative agriculture. And I saw, I saw there was a massive amount of knowledge in this, in this kind of uh, agriculture practices, sustainable agriculture practices. And I was wondering, why is this not mainstream yet? Like, why, you know, corporates, uh, governments, they're not applying these practices at scale, which makes so much sense, you know? So, so I started talking a lot about this topic in Brazil, um, but then I realized that we are so far uh, behind in the agenda of sustainable agriculture. And then I decided to search for all different countries that are pushing this agenda of sustainable agriculture. And suddenly I thought, oh my God, the Netherlands, that's where I need to go. I, I found that uh, in the Netherlands, uh, you are much more ahead in this agenda. Um, meaning, of course, we're still far, like, uh, but we, there's a lot of improvements already going on. So that's how I ended up in the Netherlands and that's how I found my co-founder and partner, Marco de Boer, to start Green Nature. Wow, yeah. what a story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so you just said that uh, when you were 17, you drove into the Amazon and you really saw um, yeah, the deforestation going on and it, it got to your heart, apparently. Um, you founded the company many years later. What would you say in between were some other important moments that really made you or that kind of created that passion in you to finally found the company that you that you founded yeah indeed so i the amazon rainforest uh, uh, deforestation for me was like the why i want to be involved in this yeah. field uh, and the how came through like searching for farms that are example that are kind of like uh, showcases uh, that inspired me to see that it's actually economically profitable to work, including nature and forest and agriculture. Yeah. So I started learning from the ground with farmers. So I kind of like made like a, a map of like all the farms I need to visit. And I went to visit them, but just not to visit, but also like implement, like get my hands dirty in the soil and really work in these farms to kind of learn from the ground. Um, that's something I was extremely passionate about at the moment. So would you say that 17-year-old Philippe already knew that he was going to dedicate his life to this cause? Yes. Uh, wow. And, you know, for me, it was an eye-opening experience to be in the Amazon and seeing all the, the, the forest taking, uh, you know, taken down for main, mainly agricultural commodity production, mainly soybean and cattle ranching. And that was, for me, enough to kind of really decide to spend every second of my life oh, to change yeah. the way uh, we are farming. Um, but also came a lot from my mom. My mom is a huge inspiration for me. Uh, she raised me a vegetarian, so I never tried had meat in my life. So I, I, I was born vegetarian. And for a Brazilian to be born vegetarian, it's quite something. It's quite like, it's quite like a, I was considered like a ET sometimes, like a, a very <laughs> someone from another planet. Uh, so it was quite interesting. And my mom, she always like you know, uh, brought me and my brother to nature so that I, we can kind of value, uh, you know, the, the the abundance that we have in nature. So she played an important role as well in, in where you eventually are now. Exactly. My mom was a huge source of inspiration. Wow. That's nice to hear. Um, so let's fast forward to um, your time in the Netherlands because I think you eventually moved to the Netherlands as well. Um I can imagine you you eventually set up a company here, but your roots and your family are in Brazil. Uh, how did that feel for you? Did you often feel like divided between two continents? In the beginning, I was um, feeling very divided between two continents. 
uh, especially because I'm a very family uh, guy. And um, so for me, I was missing my family quite a lot. But I also knew that my, uh, my uh, time and priority to be here in the Netherlands was very important to set the scene, to bring uh, collective, uh, collective efforts with different, different stakeholders in the Netherlands to push this agenda for making farming more sustainable. And even making sacrifices then for the higher goal that you had in, uh, had in mind. Exactly. I mean, one thing that I... I of course, I miss the most is na- like nature, like uh, mm-hmm. so mountains. <laughs> that's one of the things, like beach. But for me, uh, I, w- I would always find a way to be around nature here in the Netherlands as well. So mm-hmm. I went to work in a, like in a dairy farm, for example, like the uh, the most sustainable cheese making, the Remiker, uh, the organic cheese. So I, I kind of like, and also to the food forest in Ketubruk in Nijmegen from Walter van Eyck. So I started like really being around people who is, you know, like working with like agroforestry and regenerative practices yeah. in the Netherlands so that I can be as close as possible uh, to the ground as well. Wow. Okay, so already I think the one thing that has become very clear now is your passion for what you're doing. So maybe it's time to get into what you're doing a little. Um, could you tell me a bit about what, what what is really the problem you're addressing with Renature? And um, uh, yeah, what is it? what is Renature all about? Perfect. So Renature is, uh, as a Dutch organization, we're a hybrid organization. So we have both a stichting, a non-profit, and we have a BV, a for-profit. So our uh, main target is to reach, uh, uh, to transition 2% of total farmland and 2% of total uh, amount of farmers across the globe uh, to regenerative agriculture by 2035. And that represents 100 million hectares of land and 10 million farmers in the transition. So this is kind of like our big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. Um, so this kind of like, uh, of course, like break down into uh, our uh, objectives. Um, so basically we want to support farmers, but also corporates in their transition to regenerative agriculture uh, by providing, for instance, technical assistance. So really like kind of implementing on the ground uh, the agronomic knowledge to s- change the agriculture practices, move away from monoculture to more diverse uh, agroforestry systems, yeah. but also monitoring KPIs, so key performance indicators. So like, for example, how much soil organic carbon is increasing, how much biodiversity is increasing, what's the food security uh, increase as well, like what's the economic performance. But also now what we're doing is... Uh, supporting farmers uh, with access to finance and carbon markets. Uh, so this is something we're working on and uh, we see a very excitement also on that in that field because farmers who are transitioning towards more regenerative practices, they are looking for ways to get more premium prices for their crops, but also like get uh, uh, carbon credits with a more added value uh, price in the market. Yeah. So that's where we're kind of playing a role uh, so that we can foster the transition and scale on regenerative agriculture yeah. with farmers, but also communities working with indigenous communities, for example, in the Amazon in Brazil, but but uh, mostly farmers. Yeah, sounds quite broad. A lot of work mm-hmm. to do. I think there's one word here that needs a bit more um, attention and explanation, and that, of course, is regenerative agriculture. Um, I really see the word popping up a lot. I feel it's becoming a bit of a buzzword, maybe almost. What ex- What exactly does it mean in your perception? Perfect. That's a very good question. I think uh, it's very important to make it a very 
concrete definition. Yeah. Uh, so in the most simplistic way uh, is to regenerative agriculture is basically uh, a farming uh, system that is uh, focused on building soil health and climate resilience. So we're seeing all the impacts of climate change in major agricultural crops across the globe. And regenerative agriculture is a form of like us putting a focus uh, on building soil health. Uh, and soil health means from, for example, like uh, sequestering carbon to also building soil fertility to also filter more water in soil. Um, so, so kind of different elements uh, that encompass the, the overall goal of like building soil health. So regenerative culture is about going beyond also like net zero emissions, which is a like we cannot have the luxury of simply, you know, being carbon neutral as a society. We need to go beyond that. So that's why it's, uh, it's also more than just sustainability. Yeah. Sustainability is about, uh, you know, uh, decreasing the negative impact we have caused and regeneration is about maximizing the positive impact. To understand why regenerative agriculture is so important, we need to explain a bit more about the status quo of agriculture. Due to the way we till our soil and use monoculture, already over 30% of our soil worldwide is degraded, heading up for 90% in 2050 if we continue in this way. That means that farmlands won't be fertile anymore, which threatens our food security and adds to the emissions of greenhouse gases. With regenerative agriculture, the soil and biodiversity can flourish and we can reverse this process. Luckily, Renature is gaining ground across the world. So I was search, searching online uh, where you are active and I saw a little map of the world in front of me and arrows popped up everywhere. Um, I think 24 countries in the end. Um, I'm curious, could you give me an example of a project that you're working on, uh, which you're proud of, which you think is a good example of the work you do? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I like to get a project that is the most, uh, let's say, uh, passion of people to have. So I, I know everybody likes to drink coffee, or at least most of people likes to drink coffee. Um, so let's take coffee uh, as an example. Um, and we know by climate uh, scientists that uh, if we continue to produce coffee the way we are doing right now, we might run out of coffee in 15 years. Uh, and and uh, we are working with 1,200 farmers of coffee uh, in Brazil um, with Nespresso, the, the, uh, with uh, Nespresso supply chain. So we're supporting Nespresso coffee uh, farmers in the transition towards regenerative and, uh, and agroforestry systems. And we saw that last year we compared like a, a regenerative far coffee farmer with a conventional coffee farmer, which lives like right in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And this conventional coffee farmer had 25 to 30% yield loss because of intensive frost, while the regenerative farmer had 0% impact uh, because of the intensive frost. So it's more climate resilient. Climate resilience. This is going to be the biggest indicator of success for economic uh, empowerment for farmers. So every farmer who is like now, you know, uh, kind of like uh, talking about risks of transitioning to regenerative culture, where you are now measuring all these climate resilience gaps in farms 
to show that this is going to be the biggest indicator of success for farmers to see that why they should you know, invest and, and, and care about transitioning to regenerative agriculture. And already, Renature is touching the lives of farmers and local communities around the world. Let's listen to a special message from Kenya. This is uh, Joseph Lentunyoi from uh, Laikipia Bamakalsha Center uh, in Laikipia County, uh, which is uh, located and situated in the north of Kenya. And um, <clears throat> we've been working with Renesha for almost three years now. And uh, we've been doing a, a very good project called uh, Regenerative Agroforestry that is bringing in all the types of trees, indigenous trees, to be planted at the local community. And um, uh, we like this project so much because it's uh, promoting uh, indigenous trees for fruit trees, for timber, for um, you know climbers, and for uh, other uses to benefit the soil and the people and the animals, even fodder is included. And therefore, the future looks good because we are going to reforest our landscape, which is degraded. And so far, so good. We have planted um, uh, close to um, 5,000, 6,000 seedlings and the majority of them have uh, sprouted um, 80%. Thank you very much. So these words came all the way from Kenya. Renature is growing as fast as the produce on the fields. But of course, you can't pay the bills with ideals. So I wonder what Philippe's business model is. So just mention, as mentioned before, we have the foundation, which is now basically collecting grants, funds, philanthropic capital, and, uh, and uh, um, so, you know, like donations to support farmers in the global south in the transition. We also have the BV, as I said, so the company side, which is basically a consultancy and, and project development business model, which is enabling these corporates in their transition. So it's still based on consultancy business model, and we had like a very uh, interesting growth compared to last year uh, in this in this existing business. But you know, consultancy is difficult to scale because it's also like a human centric uh, kind of like yeah. business model. So now we're developing a, a very exciting spin off ag tech of Ooh, Renature. Tell me. <laughs> so we are going to now uh, launch very soon a digitalized platform where we can uh, start exchanging uh, regenerative crops. And and uh, ecosystem services, meaning carbon, uh, to start with, with between farmers and businesses. So farmers who has a regenerative crop and potential to do a, you know potential to do a carbon project, we can connect with businesses who are interested to supply these crops, but also to offset their emissions and inset their emissions. So this is kind of like this platform will be uh, you know the kind of like scale up for nature to enable us to kind of really uh, facilitate what are the most challenges of farmers, which is accessing premium prices in the, mar in the, in the market. Because nowadays, like, companies are paying extremely low prices for farmers for a certain crop. And also farmers, they don't have access. But even before that, they don't have knowledge on what the carbon market looks like right now. Yeah. So we are going to make this bridge and be a very transparent platform and, and, and give the most of the shares to farmers who are now sequestering this carbon because we see a lot of carbon trading organizations right now which is getting like 40 to 50% share of the carbon trade in which the farmer who originally is sequestering the carbon yeah. should get much more uh, you know benefits than that. So it's going to be a much more fair way to... to yeah, to and more sustainable as well. 
Um, Philippe, the movement is definitely growing. You started four years ago. Um, and as I said, I'm quite impressed with how fast it's going. You currently have over 60,000 followers on social media altogether, I think. You um, um, get a lot of media attention and you have some big investors backing you as well. Uh, on top of that, you work together with organizations ranging from the United Nations to Unilever to governments, WWF. Um, why do you think you are gaining so much traction? What makes you different from all the other companies that are also working on solutions for, for the climate? Perfect. Uh, thanks for this question, Emma. Um, so I think, you know, I think the first thing is like how we communicate things externally because we are a very solution and positive uh, oriented brand. We want to show that it's possible. We want to show that we can do this. So something we work a lot in the in Renature is like to really be out there in the field and really showing people the impact behind what uh, what what can be done and what we do. So, for instance, we, we use a lot of like uh, before and afters of a farm that has been degraded, for instance, and now is fully recovered and is like already producing and is even sequestering carbon as well. So, for us, what works the best to really inspire like the world, but also different stakeholders, is to really show and 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 be very transparent on what's going on on the ground, and to really implement things in, on the ground as well. We see most of the sustainability like initiatives and organizations out there. They are really developed only on the kind of high-level strategic side, developing strategies and, uh, you know, theoretical frameworks to support corporates in their transition. But in the end, like, who is going to execute on the ground this transformation, you know? So we are really focused on uh, showing in the ground concrete cases on how we can actually change agriculture and how can we feed the growing road population through, through regenerative agriculture. So, so I think this is kind of why we make you know, Renature, which is also a very good name, uh, you know, which yeah. stands for Regenerate Nature, yeah. uh, to, to kind of make a success in terms of engaging different stakeholders and attracting farmers, but also like different uh, people uh, to see that this is not just a movement, but this is like, you know, uh, the, a real case uh, uh, change that we are seeing. So that's why we also should kind of be very careful on how we are framing the, the responsibility. I see a lot of like people also putting responsibility on their farmers. Mm -hmm. And the farmers, they're working extremely hard to change things. Uh, so we also need to realize that and, and, uh, and uh, reward them uh, for the amazing work they're doing. So who do, you, who do you think carries the responsibility then? I think the responsibility lies, that's a very good question. I think the responsibility lies mostly uh, between consumers, but also like corporates, uh, you know, food brands, uh, not just food, but also fashion brands, cosmetic brands, poop and paper brands. So I think responsibility is mostly on the end consumer to kind of make better choices and purchasing decisions on what to buy and where, uh, but also corporates to also incentivize. So corporates cannot say, you know, consumers should demand that. They should also be responsible to make uh, better options for consumers. So I think it's like, I think these two players are the most, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, reliable source of like uh, change. In At the, the root of change. At the root of change. But 
not to mention, of course, governments and and policymakers. They play also a big role. Uh, However, it's just like slow. And so I feel that the the urgency, uh, the feeling of urgency comes much, much more from the private sector and from consumers than governments. So I would like to see more speed from governments also to take action. And I think the Netherlands, the Dutch government is the one that is taking more actions than anyone else I know. Okay, so if I if I hear you correctly, uh, you you mainly say we need to see the change from corporates taking responsibility for their supply chains, consumers to demand that change, and eventually, of course, governments should step up as well and um, create the right legislation for that. Um, and just and to finalize, of investors, course. of course, mm. because investors they don't realize the you know the the. Uh, mid to long term kind of like benefits of investing in uh, more regenerative projects. They only think of like really short term gain, you know, uh, returns, and they need to start also opening their mi- mindset towards a more like long mid to long terms uh, investments. Felipe, you are in the heart of a farming transition. Change always comes with resistance. Uh, you pay a lot of attention to building trustworthy relationships, uh, showcasing good examples and that it's economically attractive. But even with convincing arguments, you will still bump into non-believers. What does it do to you personally if people don't believe in in your vision? That's a very good question. Um, So at the moment... We are like, of course, working with farmers and stakeholders who are already like, uh, you know, feeling the the need and the urgency to do this. So, I mean, we are interacting and being proactive uh, to talk to uh, different farmers and stakeholders that are uh, more resistant to change things. But uh, but you know, these these are the ones that will kind of you know come at that later stage of uh, of convincement. Because the demand of like people who are already interested is so high that we don't even have time to be with the ones that are resistant. Um, so I think we are prioritizing the ones that are more more open and more, uh, you know, wanting to learn um, than the ones that are more resistant and uh, they, you know, are more critical to kind of change things. So I think this is kind of a matter of timing. Yeah. Uh, they need to see uh, others doing uh, to you know, be more confident of like transitioning, so that's why. And then, personally, to you, what does the oh, criticism okay. feel like? Is it something that you can easily let go of and just say, okay, I'm going to focus on these other farmers, or does the criticism get to you because it's something, of course, you're so passionate about? Yeah, no, definitely. Like it gets in the first moment I receive this kind of like uh, you know like uh, uh, feedback. So for me, in the first moment, I get this kind of like reaction from someone who's not believing or not, you know, like, uh, yeah, like uh, feeling the same way as I am. Uh, in the first moment, I I get a bit as a Brazilian typical Latino, <laughs> very, uh, you know, uh, uh, temp- temperamental. Yeah, temperamental. Uh, yeah. Uh, but then, of course, I step back and I realize, okay, uh, maybe this is just not a good timing to engage this person uh, and to be like exchanging. Uh, but but also like w- I always try to find the most effective way to kind of like uh, uh, build dialogues 
and listen to this person before kind of like, let's say, giving up on continuing and trying to build uh, this kind of like an agreement. So yeah. I always try my best to see, you know, how can I, you know, uh, have a good interaction and dialogue with this person. And if it really doesn't work, I see in the end like, okay, it's I'm really, out. yeah, then I, I say, okay, then maybe another time I can dialogue with this person. Yeah, yeah. because your company is um, growing quite rapidly. Um, as an entrepreneur, I think you grow along with your company as well. Eh? You you personally develop as well. Um, what's the thing? What do you think the most important personal development as an entrepreneur you've been through over the last years? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I don't get that often. <laughs> um, so I think, like um, as you said, indeed. Uh, we have grown, uh, especially like from last year to this year, we had 400% growth. So we're extremely happy and excited about this, uh, you know, like this becoming more and more real and uh, really like maximizing impact. So we're really happy about that. And it's uh, of course also very overwhelming to be in all these kind of like environments where people are, you know, asking for support, but also wanting to support. So so it's, it's a very, uh, you know, very... Uh, uh, overwhelming but also very exciting because I want to be part of that change and and because I'm 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 the face of Renature in terms of like you know this uh, person that is always there on the stage to like uh, bring the audience like uh, with the topic of what we're doing uh, for me is always like kind of like these two feelings one is like there's a lot going on I'm a very busy but also the other one is like this is super exciting to be have this opportunity, uh, you know, and to and to be privileged uh, as a Brazilian, uh, you know, who comes from like a very, uh, you know, like kind of, um, uh, yeah, like a, uh, like a kind of like a challenging country from us uh, to kind of be in this position. So for me, I feel very honored to be there. But it comes with some, uh, you know, like uh, feelings that um, uh, that for me is a huge responsibility as well. So I, I feeling this responsibility sometimes can give me some, uh, you know, like uh, feelings in term like how can I, uh, how can I kind of like grow myself into a person that can be very resilient towards these kind of challenges that I go through. So for me as a person, my biggest developments were to kind of always learn from this from this kind of like feelings that I'm getting from being more exposed and have this kind of more growth in, in, in as an organization um, and uh, and learning with these feelings for me is makes me also more uh, confident that I can actually you know keep going uh, but also being confident that we need uh, smarter people than me and my business partner also to support us in growing the organization. Yeah, uh, and having this more smarter, pe smarter people in 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 the organization makes me much more relieved and much more make me much more, you know, like uh, happy to see that uh, we're gonna have others supporting us and uh, I can actually also perform in what I'm best at. Yeah, uh, and I don't have to. Yeah, so that's my. Thank you for sharing that. Um. And, and is that a, a journey that you are really making by yourself? Or do you also know uh, what kind of... Do you get help with, with that personal process as well? Like a coach maybe or um, leadership 
training or anything in, in that field? Or is it something that is your personal journey? Yeah, that's a very good one because I used to be doing trying to do the, uh, that kind of journey through myself. But then I, and also because I think my mom, she raised me in a way that she thinks like, you know, uh, we can, uh, you know, be the drivers of the, you know, the the car and we can kind of organize uh, like things internally ourselves. But then I realized like, that's not really true. <laughs> like for me, actually it's so good to have like someone with you in the same car, like tr driving this, your personal development. So, so for me, like, um, I did like a think course, for example, here in Amsterdam on, uh, um, uh, on uh, leadership uh, and, um, and uh, personal development. So for me, it was very helpful to be with others and learning how to kind of like, you know, perform yourself uh, and learn from your uh, mistakes, but also re recognizing your, uh, 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 your challenges. So for me, is I'm 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 much more open to kind of learn from others, on on have more personal development than before. Yeah, that sounds like a beautiful development. Um, so that's for you, personal, uh, your your journey. If you look at the barriers for your company, what would you say is the the one biggest barrier uh, in moving your vision forwards for the company? So that's uh, that's another really good question. I think that's uh, uh, there's at least uh, three of them. So for me, one pick one. Yeah, okay, most one. important one. I think one is like uh, really keeping safeguarding the mission and uh, and um, and uh, and the whole purpose of Renature uh, uh, for the long term. Even though we are entering like some, you know, like corporates, large corporates that sometimes they don't have the same kind of like uh, values. Yeah. But because we really want to, you know, bring impact uh, in, uh, inside this like uh, organizations. So we need to always keep, uh, you know, uh, uh, true and, uh, and, uh, and um, legit in what we're doing. So for me, I think uh, like we need to very be very careful um, as an organization to also uh, who we're going to engage with because there's the why, how, and what, but even more important than the why, how, and what, which is the, the three questions we should always ask ourselves is the, with who. And with who is like uh, is, is as important as these three, and I think we need to really be very concise and, uh, and uh, uh, with who are we going to be in the journey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because of course, you know, if certain companies that don't match your values offer large amounts of money, for example, you know, to uh, to get in partnerships with you. Um, you have to stay strong to your core values, I think, and that can be a tough decision sometimes. Exactly, exactly. So that's yeah. why we need to keep as a uh, as, uh, safeguard our mission as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Philippe, what are we going to see of Renature in the coming years? Where's your focus going to be? So our main focus as Renature it will uh, will be on developing this new business model, uh, which is focused on exchanging uh, regenerative crops and and also regenerative ecosystem services. So the digital platform. The digital platform, indeed. So that we can uh, like really upgrade uh, and uh, and have a different like uh, kind of like a business that can provide farmers with their major challenges with access to uh, all, like quality offtake offtake agreements like 
buyers who pays premium prices, but also that can get access to ecosystem services like carbon, biodiversity, and so forth. So this is kind of like where we're heading towards and super exciting because we see that the industry needs that. And we see there is also like an opportunity for Renature to have a exponential growth uh, besides the consultancy business model. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because uh, in a previous episode of Entrepreneurial Journeys, I spoke to uh, Judith Wilker from African Clean Energy, um, and they're also working on carbon offsetting. So it sounds like this digital platform could also work for a lot of other areas outside regenerative agriculture, but everyone who does something, um, yeah, which can like increase carbon uh, or decrease carbon, could make use of such a platform eventually, right? Exactly. And we want to be very, like, also, like, uh, strict in how we see uh, things in terms of the carbon uh, markets because, you know, like, everybody's talking about carbon and they, there's a lot of people from f the financial market coming towards carbon credits. But we want to be very legend in terms of not having this kind of, like, really narrow carbon tunnel vision, just looking at carbon as the major kind of, like, driver for us to accelerate uh, the transition. But going beyond carbon, which is biodiversity, water, soil health, soil nutrients. So all this kind of like other ecosystem services should also be quantified and should also be a, a tool for rewarding farmers uh, for the impacts they're having. So so we want to go beyond that. And uh, that's something where, of course, has to work on and, and pricing is still very challenging for these other ecosystem services. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was thinking if I'm if I'm going to ask this question, but I'm I'm going to ask it anyway. It's about carbon offsetting in general. To me, sometimes it sounds a bit strange that um, you know we can we can keep certain systems and structures in place, like flying, for example, you know, and uh, a lot of other activities that are quite harmful for the environment. And then we say, okay, but we're going to balance all these harmful activities out by offsetting carbon. Do you understand? Yeah. What I mean? Yeah. What is your vision in that on that? Because I'm new to it, but it sounds like, you know, we're kind of building something up on the one side and then we're taking taking it out on the other side again. Yeah. No, indeed. I think I mean we are all emitting carbon, right? Like yeah. uh, that we cannot run away from emitting carbon. Like uh, I mean, if you're not flying, you're driving. If you're not driving, you're buying like an apple that comes from, you know. So. So everybody's emitting carbon. So uh, offsetting is important because we can actually uh, use your emissions uh, and to towards a project that can sequester carbon. So you can balance and neutralize your carbon emissions. So offsetting is important, but more important is insetting. And insetting is ex extremely like interesting like uh, concept, which is basically like offsetting your carbon emissions in your, in your own. Uh, you know, kind of like a supply chain. Yeah. So if you look at a corporate, for example, like Nespresso. So Nespresso, instead of like, let's say, planting trees in the Amazon to offset their emissions. I mean, it's great when the Amazon needs some trees, but like <laughs> why Nespresso is not putting this money from the carbon emissions inside to uh, of their own supply chain to improve their coffee farmers to reduce their carbon emissions. Yeah. So insetting is much more uh, strong and much more, uh, let's say, impactful. Um, because we see, for example, fashion brands coming to us saying, hey, we would like to plant some trees uh, in our sustainability targets. Yeah. And then I ask them, do you know where your cotton comes from? And they say, not yet. 
And I'm like, yeah, but then don't you don't you don't you think that you should know where your cotton comes from, and then we can do a carbon project inside your cotton farms to impact your own supply chain. Yeah. So I think this insetting concept is super now like the big thing that we see as a potential to yeah. maximize. Interesting. Okay, so your short-term focus, or at least the, sh the focus for the next years, will be on uh, off and insetting carbon. Final question: If I'd ask you to dream to dream bigger than that and beyond the next years what's your big dream for renature my big dream for renature is to really uh, well if we want to talk about numbers uh, is to reach the two percent target uh, by 2035 i know this is not like in two three five years but 2035 so is the goal of the 100 million hectares and 10 million farmers and that's how the digitalized platform will support us to scale that number. Uh, so now we are in the 300,000 hectares and 50,000 farmers. Uh, so we're, we're, you know, we're far away, but we had a lot of improvements. I mean, for four years organization, I think this is, is quite a good advancement. But in this coming years, I really see us like, you know, uh, building this network of uh, farmers from large to smallholder farmers to really uh, bring them uh, uh, very uh, extremely like good connections with uh, businesses that are, would be paying them premium prices, but also like uh, accessing the the ecosystem services and going beyond carbon. Um, and I hope that the governments and the policymakers can enhance and provide subsidies to to fortify what we're doing. So. Thank you so much for sharing you, uh, your journey. I wish you all the best and I'm going to keep uh, following you. Thank you so much, Emma. And it's a huge pleasure to be, uh, to be here and to, to exchange uh, some ideas with you. And I hope that everybody can be a little bit inspired about and we can change the world together. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us the next episode for another inspiring entrepreneurial journey or maybe even start or continue your own. This podcast is powered by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Netherlands and the Netherlands Enterprise Agency. For more information about how they can help you propel your business forward, please visit rvo.nl.